never forget you. Does anybody know why we say that three times? Any guesses? 
Oh, I got you thinking, though. So there's probably a couple of options. Maybe it's because he was in the ground for three days. And there's uh, some significance, some reference points through the Old Testament about that. Or possibly it's because of the Trinity. Uh, We don't know how old that tradition is, but it's very old. And it might be we do it three times just like we sing. We'll sing a song today that says, holy, holy, holy. That might be a reference to the Trinity from very early. We don't know. We really don't are not 100% sure about that, but it is certainly tradition. Why don't we stand together this morning, and uh, we're going to celebrate this day together. We'll sing several songs, then we'll have a time where the kids will f- come forward for a children's sermon, and we'll greet each other, then we'll hear from the Word about the great revolution that was caught, and uh, then we'll celebrate communion together at the very end. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to gather We gather because of you, and as Paul said, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we've got nothing going on, nothing. And so we're grateful. We remember that you came back. The disciples, it took them a long time to figure out what was going on. And uh, once they realized, they were amazed. And so we stand amazed. We uh, remember that because of your life, we can actually celebrate, we can understand, we can uh, receive revelation as trustworthy. We're grateful for that. So we offer ourselves to you today in worship. We'll sing to you, we'll uh, reflect upon your word, we'll encourage each other, and we'll do all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love. Heal and forgive. He bled and died. To buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior certain days because he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth Because he lived And then one day 
Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future, and life is worth the living. Just life is worth the living. Just. Life is worth the living just because He lives. And bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh, oh my soul, worship His holy name.
So let's uh, close our time of worship, which is actually not a closure. It is a continuation. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? And I think uh, prayer is primarily a form of worship. Primarily it is. If you think about it, it's a silly thing to just talk to nothing if nothing is there. It's an automatic act of faith. It's a belief. And so this is how Jesus suggested to his disciples to pray. Let's all say this together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Very good. Uh, send me your children. They'll sit up here on the steps. We'll have a, a time. Don't sit down. Don't sit down before you go anywhere. Turn around. Find somebody you don't know. Introduce yourself to them. Greet them. Pass the peace of Christ. I love your bunny ears. We need more ears. More ears. If you can put yours on, that's it. Look at, they even have bunnies on the... That's good. Okay, that's enough being nice to each other, by the way. Thank you. We try to be nice to each other every week, but you know how that goes. Um, and they, uh, look at these guys. Aren't they spectacular up here? They're beautiful. Give them a big hand. Yeah, they're beautiful. So right here in the front, we have bunny ears. Why do you guys, children, why do you guys think that we have bunnies at Easter? What does that have to do with Easter? I think it means because a lot of, well, I don't know. <laughs> Man, you had such a strong start. You were, I thought you were in it. You were in it. Mr. Quint? Um, because the Easter bunny gives it's presents. Ooh, so we get presents from the Easter Bunny. Candy, that's true. Anybody else? Someone, I want to come over here. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Well, that's true. And so how does that connect with a rabbit? That he rose from dead. Well, and he did rise, so there was life. See, this is interesting, what we're finding out. Uh, the rabbit is perfect like Jesus was. Ooh, perfect. Wow, that's an interesting. I would have never guessed that. So, the Easter Bunny gives us candy. Right, that's true. That's right, and that is a good thing on Easter. Um, the, Jesus gave um, his life off, um, for us, for, um, for our sins, and the Easter Bunny gives us candy. Oh, so there's giving going on. Do you hear all these? This is spectacular. And what do we know about our teachers, Brendan? 
Listen to your teachers. We should listen to our teachers. That's right. Now, so guys, here's what's probably true is the Easter bunny is has a lot of babies. They're known to have a lot of babies. And in the springtime, new babies are born. And so it got kind of connected to the two. But what's the big word that starts with R that we're celebrating today? The big word starts with R. Respect. Ooh, respect is a good one. But that's not the key word today, Judy, you know. Pick your nose. No, that's not it. That's got nothing to do with it. Resurrection. Resurrection is right. Woo-hoo. That's right. That's right. Woo. You never know what you're going to get. That's how the beauty of this thing works. And resurrection, who knows what resurrection means? Here's the hardest one. Hardest one of the day. Rudy. To bring someone back or bring something back. Oh, yeah. So there's to re-enliven. Now, guys, this is very important. Jesus didn't just fall asleep and then wake up. That's not what happened. He also wasn't kind of only mostly dead. He was completely dead. And he didn't come back as a ghost. How many of you know what a ghost is? Jesus was not a ghost, not a ghost or like a spirit. He was physical. He was, you could touch him. He was real. It was honest. But like you guys stand up right here. Stand up. Just stand up. You're okay. So they look kind of alike. The shirts are kind of alike, but they're different and they're not exactly alike. I had twins in the first service, which was a perfect picture because even though their bodies were alike, they're not exactly the same. Oh, we've got twins. Here's some twinnies right here. See, they look a lot alike, but they're not exactly alike. When Jesus came back, his body was much like his first body, but it was a little different. It was very interesting. So that's what we're celebrating today. And let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for these great kids and twins. That was a gift. Thank you. And we remember that, yes, we receive gifts. Yes, you you represent life. Yes, you live forever. All of those wonderful things. But help us remember that you were physical. You actually died and you actually came back to life for us. Uh, Give these children on their journey to knowing you. Give them grace and give them your spirit in Jesus. Guys, a big hand. Go back and find your parents. There's no class today. Good job. Excellent work. Give me some right here, brother. Parents, take all your kids home. Thank you. I know. That was great. (laughs) Good morning. Happy Easter. Resurrection Sunday. We uh, made it. We worked our way through Lent. We did a series, a revolutionary rescue, where we talked about how revolutionary Jesus was on the cross. He was very countercultural. He was uh, very revolutionary. He was a revolution. Uh, that's what he started, and that's what he was killed for, actually. Um, sedition. Not, uh, not going along with the um, Roman government. And so what we did in that series heading up to today was focus on the cross and look at the great things that Christ accomplished. We looked at several key areas. And what I would like to do today is kind of wrap it all up and go back and revisit the story and get us to today. Because what is it we like to say? He is risen? A very time-honored tradition in our church. It is the very core 
of our theology, a resurrected Savior. But I know that many of you don't really understand why. I understand that. I get that. Uh, I mean, I've been reflecting on it for 40 years, and I still marvel at it and still scratch my head sometimes at what happened. And we're going to see that we're not alone in that. There's a lot of people in the scriptures that scratch their heads, a lot of people in the early church. So let's go back and let's talk about the story, the story that we're celebrating today. You know, back in about 49, 48, 49 AD, somewhere in there, Paul wrote Galatians. Arguably his first book, I believe it was, but um, we're not sure, but it's definitely one of his earlier ones. And he's reflecting back on the tradition. Uh, He was a Pharisee. He was a very well-trained, very well-trained scholar. Uh, He was uh, under Gamaliel, one of the very finest, the finest rabbis that uh, Israel ever produced. And so he had the finest education you could get. And so he was well-trained in Old Testament Jewish theology. And so he's reflecting back on what happened with Christ and the cross. And he gives us a little insight in Galatians 3.8. So we're going to read this together. I'll read it and you follow along. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Now here's the gospel. Most of us, when we ask the gospel in today's world, what is the gospel? We think of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. That's true. That's very true, but it's far bigger than that. Here it is. This is what he said to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. One of the things I love doing is, as I'm in and around the county having coffee with people, I love asking the question from time to time, do you see God as kind of a big killjoy in the sky where he's got all these lists of rules and regulations and, and, whoa, watch out if you cross over? Or do you see him as just a God who just delights in you? And just loves you. And has made you for joy. Probably 95% of the time, maybe higher, I get the first one. That's how they think of God. That's how we've communicated God to our culture. What our culture think if they realize we had a God who loves this entire creation. Every nation. And from the beginning, it was his intent to bless every nation. From the beginning. So he talked about Abraham. I'm going to read to you Genesis 12. That's actually the story where he's quoting from that. We're going back to 2000, 2100 BC, somewhere in there. We're talking 4,000 years ago, right? The world was a very primitive, ancient place back then. Very superstitious in the belief of many gods. And here's what God says in, in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's very, very, very early in world history. Very early. So right off the bat, we learn from the very beginning of the story, we serve a God who is alive. He wants to bless And he loves this entire creation. That is the gospel. The way he does it is through the cross. But the the heart of the gospel is God's care and love for you. What would our friends and neighbors think if they knew the truth? That there actually is a God who loves them and cares for them. I think they might respond a little differently. Well, you know the story. The story unfolds. And um, pretty soon um, you have Abraham and his offspring going to Egypt. And then they're brought out from the exodus to slavery. Remember, to the Egyptians. And uh, that's a story we all know really well. 
And so they let settle in the land, and then you have uh, King David takes over, and he consolidates the empire, brings peace, and the kingdom is at the height of its glory. And then in Second Chronicles, something happens. David wants to build a, um, the temple for God. Every nation had their own temple. That's the way they did things. Temple is what, where God met the people. And so they all had a temple. And so God said, no, your son is going to build it. So he makes sure he has the plans and all the resources he needs to build the temple. David dies. So Solomon comes and Solomon builds the temple. So we are at the height of the glory of Israel. We're at the height of their power as a world uh, government, a world empire. They're very large, very wealthy, very powerful. And they build, uh, they build a temple. What I want to do is read to you the happiest day in Israel's history. This is the happiest day. This is Second Chronicles 7. When Solomon finished, he had just finished dedicating the temple. Uh, it's done. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Priests could not even enter the temple of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord. It filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Let's say that together. He is good. His love endures forever. Let's say it one more time. He is good. His love endures forever. This is the God that we serve. He is good. His love endures forever. Now you notice it began with when Solomon finished praying. All of chapter 6, the chapter before, is this prayer of dedication for this temple. Right smack in the middle of this prayer, he has these wonderful two verses which talk about what the purpose of the temple is for. Why the temple even exists, which was different than all of the other religions of the ancient world. So I'm going to read this to you. This is out of Second Chronicles 6. As for the foreigner, that's a Gentile, by the way, that's you. There may be a few of you in here that are of Jewish descent, but most of you are not. So we're talking about you. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, the parallel version in 1 Kings says, because they will indeed hear of your great name. They will hear. The Lord will make sure that the world hears of his name. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. Do you see that? Do what the foreigner asks of you so that all of these foreigners will come to believe in you, just like Israel does. And so we learn a real, a core reason why the temple was there was to be a magnet, a, a light, a city on a hill. It was to be a center point in world history that would draw non-believers that would come and say, we don't, our gods are not like your God. You know, many of you know, I just got back from Nepal last week. And um, after the big earthquake three years ago, the message of the Christians was the earthquake occurred on, during church. So almost all the Christians were in church when the earthquake occurred, and none of the church buildings collapsed. So I only know of one Christian who died. And so what they said to their Hindu friends was, our God protected us. Where were your gods? And they've planted church after church after church. That's the message here. Our God is alive and real, and this, king, this, t- this temple would attract them to come. 
And he prays, God, bless them when they come. Bless them so that they will come to know you. This is the happiest day in Israel's history. This is the high point in Israel's history. Solomon dies. After Solomon dies, the kingdom is split, divided. And uh, ten tribes go to the north. Two tribes stay in the south. And they split up. And when they split up, they began to turn away from the Lord. If you've ever read Chronicles, the rest of that, Kings, the rest of that. It's a tragic story. As they moved further and further away, they began to worship all the gods of the surrounding nations. They turned their back on the Lord. The northern kingdom, God began sending prophet after prophet after prophet to, to confront them of their sin and saying, please turn back. Please don't do this. Please turn back. The northern kingdom, uh, pretty soon there's nobody left in the kingdom. That's a follower. And he just wipes out the northern kingdom. has gone. Never comes back. That's kind of a sad day, but it's not the saddest day. The southern kingdom has two tribes left. That's around Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And so he sends prophets after them, and they do the same thing. But there's a remnant there. We find them in Lamentations. Uh, Great is my faithfulness. It's new every morning. My mercies are new every morning. He's writing that to that remnant. That's still left. But this is the saddest day. This is in Ezekiel 10. It won't be up on the screen because I'm going to read it to you. Ezekiel receives a vision. This is in the very last days of the southern kingdom before the walls are torn down and they're deported by Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is the saddest day in Israel's history. So I want you to just close your eyes because this is a vision. Just close your eyes for just a minute and picture this. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. So the temple left. They left the temple. They stopped. This is the glory of the Lord and the cherubim. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was above them. The saddest day in Israel's history is when the in Second Chronicles, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they're all on their faces worshiping him. And now there's very few people left that are followers. And the glory of the Lord rose and the cherubim over the mercy seat, God's seat, his home. It, they rose, their wings lifted up and then they rose together. They went over to the east gate and they stopped, turned around and looked. I don't know what God is thinking. I suspect this is a moment of great sorrow. As the glory left. You see, God packed his bags and went home. This was the beginning of exile. Soon after that, they were kicked out of the land. They were deported by Babylon. Uh, But the true exile began the second the glory left. Because they were exiled from God. God stepped out of the relationship and moved away. Well, Ezra and Nehemiah records the story. That's the end of the chronological end of the New Old Testament. They, uh, several decades later, they were allowed back in the land. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Many of you have read the story. They rebuilt the temple. But guess what? The glory of the Lord never returned. Never came back. They knew several things because of that. Number one is the reason why they were kicked out in the first place and exiled was because of their sin. Every prophet said that. Therefore, sin has to be dealt with in order for them to be forgiven. And they would remain in exile until their sin was forgiven. That's the basic story. 
They would remain in exile. And they knew that as long as the glory of the Lord was gone, their sin had not been forgiven. And that's what happened. So the glory of the Lord departed and didn't come back. Old Testament ends, over 400 years pass, and silence, not a word, but no glory. And then Jesus comes on the scene. <clears throat> now, the disciples, when you read the story of the disciples, what you get is a, you get this picture that all the way through the journey with Christ, they're scratching their heads going, who is this guy? Could this be the real Messiah? Messiah we heard about? They became so convinced that they placed their loyalty with him. So imagine with me just for a moment how they must have felt on Good Friday when he's crucified. I can't imagine the confusion, the hurt, the sorrow, maybe anger, fear, because you see, to support someone accused of sedition, treason, who's executed means you're in trouble. They're terrified because they're next. The Roman government's going to come after them next. No wonder it says they scattered. All their hopes are dashed. We thought this Jesus was the true Messiah. What they did not realize was that the most important day in the history of the world was Good Friday. They didn't realize it. They did not even begin to grasp what had happened. So it's a little bit long, but that's okay. Luke 24, we could, we could do it from every gospel. Mark and I were laughing. Every gospel, this is the heart and soul of it. And, uh, but I'm going to read the Luke version of it, of what happened on, Pentecost, I mean, on the Resurrection Sunday, because I want you to begin to grasp the reality of what this day is all about. This is a day that changed everything. This day right here. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. This is a story in every gospel. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes, uh, in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day rise again. Now pay attention to this next verse. Only then, then, they remembered his words. They didn't get it. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Silly women. Remember, women are still largely considered property at this time in world history. Silly women. They, no one rises from the dead. No one. That's never happened in world history. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Maybe, just maybe, there's hope. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. The story then moves on to the, uh, Christ talking to the 
two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I'm going to skip that part. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. We're going to look at what happens when he sees the rest of the apostles, the disciples. Starting in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood, himself stood among them. Now remember the last thing we said was they didn't believe the women because the women are, are speaking nonsense. Jesus stands in the middle of them and says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. They were startled. They were terrified. Of course they were. Now they're seeing it with their own eyes. They thought they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Is it, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and blood as you have seen that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they still did not believe. Because of joy and amazement. They're scratching their heads. They can't make sense of this in any world. In any way of thinking, they can't make sense of what just happened. The Messiah was supposed to come and reign like a king, like King David. And here he is crucified. Now here he's standing before us. It's too good to be true, but what on earth does it mean? They were in amazement. <coughs> they still didn't believe. So he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He ate it in their presence. He's showing them that I really am alive. Let me eat the fish. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is the entire Jewish scriptures, what we refer to as the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament predicted this. When he opened their minds, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, just like the women. All of a sudden, they could start to make sense of it. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why did the glory leave the temple? Because of their sin. Why were they sent into exile? Because of their sin. Why were they kicked out of the land? Because of their sin. Why did the glory not return to the rebuilt temple? Because of their sin. And here it is. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Could it be true that our sins are forgiven? You know what that means, don't you? It means the exile has come to an end. That's what it means. The exile has come to an end. Well, what about the glory of the Lord? Many, many years later, John is reflecting back. And look what he tells us in John 1. It's a verse known to all of you. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory came back. Not the way they expected. It didn't appear on the mercy seat in the temple, the rebuilt temple. It appeared in the form of their son, his son, Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. The glory came back. Exile has come to an end. We now enjoy the relationship with Jesus intimately. The glory of the Lord did fill the temple, but it wasn't a temple made with stones. It's us. 
That's why it's called, we are called a spiritual temple. The glory of the Lord has returned. You are the ones who reflect the glory of the Lord. So what's the impact of that? I'm going to read to you Revelation 5. We'll close with this. Uh, You probably haven't connected Revelation 5 to Easter, but I do. This is the first of his visions. Uh, I'm going to read to you the beginning of it, and then we'll read part of it together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals and open this scroll? But there's no one in heaven and or on earth or under the earth who could open it or even look inside of it. So I wept and I wept. This is John talking. Because no one was found who could open the scroll. Who's worthy? Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. Then I saw a lamb. This is Jesus. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb, it goes on to describe it. Jesus, this lamb, went on and took the scroll from the right hand who sat on the throne. That's the Father. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding bowl, golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the people. Now read with me what happens next. And they sang a new song. Did we just sing this? We just sang this, didn't we? Sing a new song. Right? Let's read this together. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. This is a fulfillment of Genesis 12 to Abraham. I will bless all the nations through you. With your blood, you purchase persons from every tribe, people, and nation. This is the day that changed everything right here. No wonder they went out and they said, We have seen the risen Lord Jesus. You can't take that away from us. We have seen him. The resurrection is at the very core of our theology because this is the day that changed everything. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. God, thank you. Thank you for being such a gracious God, never giving up on us. Thank you for fulfilling your promise to come back, to return your glory. Uh, you did it in a way that surprised us. Uh, the disciples just shook their heads, scratched their heads, trying to figure it out. And um, we still puzzle all these years later, but you did it. And for that, we are very grateful. We believe in you as a risen Lord Savior. We believe in you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering. For those of you that are visitors, we put our offering afterwards as an act of worship. And uh, if you decide to give, don't just put money in. Just stop for just a moment and say, God, thank you for blessing me so that I can bless others. We're especially grateful for your generosity. This is, as Paul says, an expression of our trust in the gospel. So thank you for whatever God puts on your heart.
seated just for a moment. Those of you who are visitors, first of all, welcome to our church. Thanks for coming and celebrating Resurrection Sunday with us. We close our time every Sunday with, uh, by celebrating communion together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, let me give you just a couple thoughts on how it happens, because it may be new to some of you. We'll have stations across the front, and some in the middle and one back there. And you will get up and come and go, go to one of the stations. It gets a little confusing and a little messy, but we don't mind that because it's a picture of community. Right? Community is kind of messy and confusing. Yeah? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So it does get a little crazy in here, and that's okay. Just grin. And when you get to one of the stations, uh, someone will bless you as you take communion. We do have gluten-free up here, so uh, feel free to come as well. I skipped over the passage in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, but now I want to come back to it. Because he's explaining to them, they had hoped... They said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That was their hope. (laughs) And idiots, just like us. They missed it. It was just like us. We're the same. He said to them, how foolish you are. So see, I'm justified in calling them idiots. Just like I love calling you idiots. (laughs) How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning him. You see, this was God's plan all along to bless the entire world. That is the gospel, that all the nations, all the trees, all the animals, all of creation belongs to him and he would bless it. That's his desire. He just picked a way that none of us would have picked to do it. That's a surprise. So they talked him into staying over for dinner. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, What was that all about? Well, that's my words. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they at once and they went back to Jerusalem. I bet they ran. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. Now remember, the eleven haven't yet seen Jesus. This is between they didn't believe the women and Jesus appeared. This is what happens in between. It is true. That's what they yelled when they ran in there. It is true. The Lord has risen. It is true. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is why we do communion every week. This is one of those places in the life of a church where you get to gaze into the eyes of Jesus. He becomes real. Life can be very crazy out there in the rest of the week. But just for a moment, when we celebrate it together as fellow believers... Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus becomes very real. We're going to invite you up in just a minute. But first, I want to give you just a second, just a pause and thank the Lord for this incredible day. His incredible day. I'd like to invite those of you that, are, that I've asked to serve communion to come on up. Get the bread and the cup ready for us. I don't mind them. This is part of the craziness of community.
as they're coming up. You all know the stories of communion. Uh, you've heard them in your churches, in your lives, and I hope you remember them and they stay very special to you. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and what did he do? Say it to me. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. I'm giving my body for each of you and for all of you together, one temple. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me because I remembered you. I've remembered my promise. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, an entirely new way of relating. The glory of the Lord has returned. His spirit has indwelt us. And we glorify him now in a very broken world that needs to see that glory. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians adds another line after that. As often as you break this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim his death. As often as you do that. That is our testimony. This is our statement of faith. We believe in the risen Lord Jesus. If you would like to, to express that same feeling, I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive communion. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your overwhelming love and compassion for this entire creation. Thank you for dying for our sins so that exile could come to an end. Thank you for filling your temple, us with your spirit, your glory, so that we can reflect it to a broken world. And Jesus, thanks for making all this happen. In your name we pray. Amen. Come and celebrate communion together.
I apologize that uh, we ran out of the cup, the juice, but it's your fault because you all weren't supposed to come today. <laughs> Thanks for coming and worshiping with us. A couple of announcements before uh, we let you go. They're on the back here. Uh, we're starting a new series next week. This one was the Revolutionary Rescue, looking at how crazy what Christ did on the cross. The next one is a Revolutionary Response. As people of the cross, what does that mean for us? We're going to look at some of the commands of Jesus that are really hard and take a look at them and say, what do we do with those? So starting next week, uh, this very first one, we're having a Mission Sunday. That's on here. Okay, It's a global outreach ministry festival next week. Now, the important thing is that it's only one service next week. Normally, we have two. It's only one at 9.30. So make sure you have that on your calendar. Otherwise, you're going to be a little scratching your heads like the disciples when you walk in here. <laughs> and that's not what you thought it was. So one service. And we're starting with the ministry outreach festival because that's part of what Jesus wanted us to do, was to tell the story. And we're very committed as a church to outreach. Very committed. And we'll talk about it. Next Sunday also is a baptism Sunday. So if you'd like to be baptized next Sunday, uh, talk to, Mar uh, to me or talk to Mark. Call the church office. They'll can put you in contact with us. And uh, let's have a conversation. We'd love, to, we'd love to baptize you. Okay? So those are the big ones. All right. The well, the well honored over many, many centuries. You know it well. The benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. Right? And make his face to shine upon you and give you what? Peace. Peace. That's what happened on this day. I hope you enjoy the peace of Christ as you go. Go in peace. God sent His Son.
scraggly one? No right. No right. Do I? 